Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where it's our desire to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message today is from our current teaching series called Strangers and Pilgrims, uh, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter and just pulling out truth from the passages and seeing how they can apply in our lives today. Uh, We hope that the message is an encouragement to you and a blessing and just really something to aid you in your walk with God. And I'm looking forward to continuing that study with you and uh, learning some new things from the Word of God today, and hopefully it'll be a challenge to you. Well, as you know, it's been, it's been uh, quite a while that we've been in this book. I looked back, and we began this series back on September the 26th. September 26th, we began it. Of course, we took a little bit of a break for Christmas, and then we continued on from there. But to say that it's been challenging and encouraging, I think, is a bit of an understatement. I know for me, uh, I've learned so much about the Lord. I've learned so much about Peter and his ministry And Peter, of course, we know, is writing to individuals, he's writing to Christians that are scattered, meaning uh, they're pilgrims and strangers, as the title of our series is. These are people who had been separated from their home, maybe had uh, had experienced actual persecution in their life, and so as a result, they uh, were away from their, maybe their home church, they were in a different land, in a different place, they were suffering, they had difficulties all around, and so he's writing to them, and he's challenging them with the fact that even though they are scattered, they are still citizens of heaven. And that's the lesson that applies to us today is that in Vancouver, we often, as a minority group in Vancouver, Christians, we often feel uh, as if no one understands us, that there's very few of us. But yet, even though we may not be a part of this world, we are citizens of heaven, and we can be thankful for that because that means that we have a home, we have a place, we have something that we are looking forward to. And so throughout all of this, What we have seen is that um, we've learned a lot of different things about the Lord, and Peter has pointed our hearts towards the truth uh, in this word to even if we're scattered and even though we're uh, all over the place, he's still trying to encourage us. And so in the series, we talked about how Jesus is our living hope. We've seen that there is a purpose in the trials that we go through. We've seen how we can be transformed by the word, and we've seen how God is for us. We've talked about uh, important and difficult subjects like submission in the world and submission uh, in the home, and we've seen how with one mind we can be people that face life boldly. Of course, there's been many other truths throughout this series, but the amazing thing to me is that though Peter himself is writing to uh, Christians who are uh, really in a difficult position as far as their faith is concerned, even though he himself, Peter, is facing death. I mean, he's just months away, really, from his own martyrdom for the faith. But he doesn't give us advice in this book to just tell us that, hey, this is how you avoid trials. This is how you can run away. This is how you can hide out from these things. No, what he does is he gives us advice, and he encourages us with the fact that we should not be surprised uh, that there's trials, We should be hopeful and we should be aware of the blessings. We should be aware of the fact that there is a strength that comes from God to persevere as well, that there is spiritual growth that happens through trials. There's spiritual growth that happens through suffering. So all of these uh, subjects Peter has been talking about, all of these things he's brought to us, and of course we know it's because we are not alone. We know that God is with us. He is for us. And we can draw close to God in our suffering. And so we, as those that are scattered, we that are the pilgrims and strangers, we are the ones then that need to learn to trust. We need to learn to rest on the wisdom of God and that we need his grace in times of great difficulty because it is then 
that we really experience and see his true love and care. Now, all of this has been really helpful. I, ho- I hope that you followed along. If you haven't, uh, great thing is about technology, we've got it all on YouTube. It's all on our podcast. You can listen to every uh, sermon in the series if you like. But here's the thing that is so incredible about this. As he begins to wrap it up, he doesn't just stop and give us like a final farewell. Almost to the very final verses of the book, Peter is just constantly giving us information, encouraging us with things that we need to pursue. I was asking myself the question this week, if I was writing this letter, how would I conclude it? I don't know if you ever thought about that. How would you conclude this letter from Peter? What would you say at the very end of this letter? I know maybe some of you would just be like, well, it's been nice knowing you, right? (laughs) Uh, Praying for you. Best of luck in all of your endeavors, right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe, you know, if you need anything, feel free to reach out. I'm here for you, you know? Uh, Sorry about Nero, (laughs) you know? I'm sorry about what's going to happen. I don't know. What do you say to people that are suffering? What do you say to people that are uh, going through a great amount of difficulty? What do you say to people that are persecuted and experiencing things that you and I would possibly never experience in our own lives? Well, We're about to see that as we continue in our study, where Peter, in his typical fashion, does not um, go anywhere else except to giving us more truths that can help us. And so today's message is really not any different than any others, because Peter here gives us some final spiritual attitudes that we can take with us for the future. Now, Tim, my phone is not connecting to control the slides, so maybe someone can help me out with that today. Sorry. (laughs) Technology, right? And so the question is, is what is he going to give us? What is he going to teach us? Now, we've been talking about spiritual attitudes, and the attitudes that we covered last week, of course, were attitudes of submission and humility and dependence. But today he continues on and gives us another spiritual attitude that I believe is vitally important as we follow God into the challenges of our future. And so I hope that you'll really kind of zone in with me today and really not zone out, zone in to what we're going to talk about Because I believe that this spiritual attitude that we're going to talk about today and Peter's going to encourage us with, I believe can really, really help us as we look to the future. I only have one thought for us this morning, and it's very simply this. We need to have an attitude of vigilance. We need to have an attitude of vigilance. Look with me at verse number 8 and verse number 9 of 1 Peter 5. He says, be sober, be vigilant, Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I want you to see here that on the heels of Peter's encouragement to cast all of our cares upon God, if you remember that from last week, he says, casting all your care upon him because Jesus has a singular care and a singular focus for you. He says, you can give him all of your cares. At the very end of that, he reminds us of the fact that the reason we have a lot of cares and the reason that we have a lot of troubles and the reason that there is so much difficulty in this world that we live in is simply because we have an adversary and yes, church, we are in a spiritual battle. We have spiritual warfare. And so as a result, he's telling us that we need to be people who are alert to the truth and we need to recognize the reality of the fact that we have an enemy that is trying to attack us. Paul echoes this truth in his letter to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 6, 
uh, verse 11 through 12, where he says to put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then he says this, why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The point that he wants us to understand today is that we are in a spiritual battle, and so Peter calls us to a life of soberness, a life of vigilance about that truth. Now, what do those two words mean? He says, be sober, be vigilant. The word sober means to be watchful. It means to be not under any influence, not under the influence of anything that would be intoxicating or altering. And then he says that we are to be also vigilant. That means, again, to be watchful. It means to be awake. It means to be alert. What is he saying? He's saying that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are people that must be watchful. We must be on the lookout for our adversary and his attacks. And he's trying to get across to us the fact that we need to wake up, (laughs) that we need to be very aware that there is a real adversary. There is a real enemy who is constantly on the offensive and he's looking to divide. He's looking to destroy. He's looking to distract God's people. I I, I say that with intensity because I want you to understand that that is a fact. There is a spiritual element to this life, and we are in a spiritual battle. And so he says, be alert, be aware. I was thinking about uh, when I took driving lessons. Did anybody else take driving lessons? Okay, yeah, I I highly recommend it. I'll just say that. I highly recommend it. Your dad may be a good driver. Your mom may be a good driver. But I would say get some lessons. It just sort of helps a little bit, uh, especially with the family relationship. But anyway, uh, I got driving lessons and... And I used to, I had this driver, and uh, she would come in and pick me up, and then we go, and we drive around, and she'd teach me. And one of the things that they teach you in driving school is something called defensive driving, right? That's a good way to look at it. It's defensive driving. Well, what does that mean? It means that when you're driving, you need to be on the lookout. You need to be aware of potential dangers, right? You need to be, you need to be looking for, uh, uh, you, you need to look for that person who's kind of swerving a little bit in their lane, you know, when you're on the highway and you see that truck kind of like, woo. Guess what? You either get by them or you stay back. It means that you leave a distance between you and the car in front of you. It means that you check your shoulder when you're turning. It means that you check your mirrors constantly. Some of you that are new to driving, make sure that you're doing that. You're looking at all those mirrors, you know. You want to make sure you're looking all around you. And and they call it defensive driving, but but really what it is is you are looking out for danger and you want to make sure that you avoid it. If you want to arrive safely at your destination, then you need to be vigilant as to the people that are all around you. This is kind of the idea of what he's trying to say to us, is you need to be vigilant, you need to be aware, you need to be looking out for the fact that there is an adversary and he's trying to destroy and deter you and distract you and lead you away. And we cannot be asleep to this fact. We cannot be under the influence of anything that would cause us to lose our focus. I think one of the greatest ways that Satan has succeeded in our world is by convincing people that he and his forces are just a myth. I think one of the greatest ways that he has succeeded in our world is that people do not believe that there is, in fact, a spiritual realm. That they're like, oh, hey, nothing to see here. (laughs) Nothing to see here. There's nothing like that at all. And I want you to understand that Peter is saying to those that are scattered, pilgrims and strangers, those that are trying to follow God in the middle of a difficult circumstance, he says, listen, you need to be aware, you need to know, you need to be vigilant of the fact that you are in a spiritual battle. Be aware, be alert. 
so that you could be victorious in this life, so that you can arrive at your final destination unscathed. Look back again at the verses there, verse 8 and 9. He describes our adversary for us. Notice, he says, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, and he walks about seeking whom he may devour. I want you to notice here the descriptive terms of our enemy. First of all, he calls him the adversary. Do you see that there at the beginning? He says the adversary. That's a Greek word that means a legal opponent, such as an opponent in a lawsuit. It means a common uh, day-to-day opponent, even just anyone who opposes anyone who stands up as an enemy against you. The picture here is that the devil is doing his best through his forces, through uh, those demons of his, those fallen angels that fell with him in that original uh, falling time, that, that, he, that they are opposing us, that they are enemies that even in a legal way, they're opposing us. That's the idea of the word. And then he calls him the devil. That means a slanderer or a false accuser. I don't know if you knew this, but the devil is a malicious enemy against us. He actually accuses God's people against God. If you've ever read the book of Job, you understand that truth, (laughs) that he accuses us, the children of God, again, in essence, he's telling on us, Against God, You might say, well, why would he do that? Revelation 12 uh, talks about uh, the fact that he's the accuser of followers of Christ. He's constantly bringing up our sins, and he's bringing up our transgressions before God. You say, why would he do that? Well, he does that because he's trying to hurt God. <laughs> he's trying to hurt God. I don't know about you, but as a parent, those of you that have kids, man, as a parent, uh, it hurts me when my child does something wrong and I hear about it from somebody else. <laughs> right? Those of you parents are like, yeah, I get it, you know? When I get that note from the teacher, or I get that text message or that call, like, hey, I just want you to know your son did this, right? And it hurts. And that's, in, in essence, what, G, uh, what, what Satan is doing. He is our accuser. He's accusing us, and he's trying to cut at God. He's trying to get at God. And so that really brings a bit of seriousness around it. I don't want to bring any hurt or any pain to my God. Now, the, the, the accusations he's making are false, aren't they? Because we're forgiven of our sins. God has paid the penalty for our sins. We, we know that we are forgiven. If you're a child of God, uh, there's nothing that's going to keep you out of heaven. You are saved forever. But he still uses that to accuse us. And then notice here that he is described as a roaring, roaring lion, a roaring lion. Uh, that's a picture of anger. A picture of strength, of fierceness, of, uh, of cruelty is really what it is. Satan is being pictured here for us as an angry uh, against God. He's, he is strong, he's fierce, and he's cruel. And scripture here says that he roams about and he's roaring in anger and cruelty. And he's looking for someone, as it says, to devour and someone to attack. Now the question is this, how does Satan devour a Christian? How does Satan devour a Christian? Now we know that we cannot be possessed by the devil right? Did you know that? Some of you knew that. Some of you didn't know that. I'm going to tell you that. If you are a Christian, you cannot be possessed by the devil. Because if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, nothing else can dwell within you in that spiritual realm, okay? So that's something you do not have to fear. Now, you can be oppressed. You can be discouraged. You can be attacked, but you cannot be possessed by Satan himself. So let's understand that very clearly. However, however, he does attack us, He does try to devour us, destroy us, eliminate us, eliminate even our testimony for the Lord. You say, well, how is that even possible? Well, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus gives us 
how that happens. This is rather, to me, it's kind of a, a, a shocking and a big statement here because Jesus is saying in this verse here that someone who does not follow after Christ is actually a child of the devil. He says, you're of your father, the devil. Now notice the, the attributes here, what he says now of someone who is following after Satan, not after God. He says, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus here is telling us how the devil devours a person, how he consumes us. And there's four ways that we see here in this passage, and I think these are really important for us to understand. The first one is lust. The first one is lust. So what he does here is that he tempts us to give into the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And, as scripture says, the pride of life. One of the ways that Satan tries to devour and destroy a Christian is by tempting us in this way to give in to those lusts of the flesh. You know, once we're saved, I'm thankful that we are saved and we're going to heaven, but it's not the elimination of our old flesh, is it? We still sin. We still struggle. All of that, of course, reminds us of the fact of the one day that we will be perfect and receive that new body and, uh, and, and be forever in, in heaven with God and be perfect. But we still struggle. We still have lust. There's different ones and different people struggle in different ways, certainly. And Satan will continually try to devour a person by pushing them to give into their lust. All of us know people that have given into the lust of their flesh, and it led to destruction, don't we? And that is one of the ways. We know Christians. We know Christians who have done that. And Satan tries to devour us. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we're encouraged to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. We are not to be loving those things. And so Satan will try to devour us in the area of lust. He'll also try to devour us in the area of murder. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Murder, you say murder, that's not really something I think about a whole lot. And I'm glad for that. I <laughs> hope you're not. <laughs> that would be a problem if that's on your top 10, you know, wake up in the morning, think about things, you know. <laughs> Breakfast, murder. Okay, hopefully not. But I want you to understand that murder really is something that Satan is behind. Why is that? Well, if he can see someone die who does not know Christ, that's a victory for him. It's interesting that the devil is the one behind murder. He is behind the murder of human life. And I think we can also say very clearly he's behind the murder of preborn human life. I think that's a great victory that he's experiencing in our world. But he's behind the loss of, of life, and as well, he is behind and he loves to murder and limit a good life from God. He does his best to murder the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, and the discipline that God has called us to. But another thing I want you to understand is that murder in Scripture, as defined by Christ, actually goes a little bit deeper than just the physical idea of murder. I want you to notice in Matthew. Chapter 5, verse 21, this is Jesus speaking. He says, You have heard that it was said 
by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. He's speaking, of course, of the Ten Commandments. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, this is Jesus, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He's linking anger and bitterness and attack to this. Whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, you know what that means? Worthless. You fool, you worthless person shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. See, Jesus, just like with the subject of adultery, takes murder to a different level and makes it a matter of the heart. And and when we are filled with anger and we're filled with these desires and we're filled with this bitterness and this uncontrolled uh, spirit and and we desire that somebody else would be completely ruined and we, we are slanderous and we attack and we go after others and we try to destroy somebody's image, someone who's created in the image of God, when we envy and try to ruin somebody else's happiness, those are all connected into this, and Satan is really good at doing that. You might say, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not giving in to any lusts of the flesh, but man, I sure wish that person would fail. I sure hope that they are destroyed. I hope that their life is miserable. And so Satan does these things. He, these are ways that he tries to devour us. Two more we see in that first verse there is that there is the rejection of truth. Another way he tries to devour us is to get us to reject truth. Verse uh, 44 again of John 8, he says, You're of the father of the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. See, Satan excels in convincing mankind that they do not need the truth, that in fact they could be happy without the truth, that they could be happy in their own version of the truth, right? We live in that day. My truth and nothing but my truth. <laughs> Even if it conflicts with truth. I was watching a, a documentary of this, of this week, and uh, somebody was confronted with the word truth, and they kept saying, stop saying the word truth, it's triggering me. <laughs> Just the word truth, like, no, 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 truth. You mean my truth? You mean your truth? And no, no, like actual truth. Ah! <laughs> we live in that kind of world where people are, no, truth. And Satan does that, and he's done a great job of eliminating the idea that there is, in fact, truth. He's trying to make all truth subjection, uh, subjective, but he excels in convincing us that we don't need it. The problem is, of course, is that without truth, you're only headed in one direction, and that's the fourth way that he tries to devour us, which is with lies and deception. Lies and deception. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, that's not the films, but you know, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Listen, Satan is a counterfeiter. He's always a counterfeiter. He appears as an angel of light. Uh, Those, it says, his ministers, they are transformed to appear as ministers of righteousness. And he can veil his evil. And under the guise of something that is good and moral, he'll elevate something that maybe is true in order to cover his intentions for evil. And so we cannot trust anything that Satan would say. We cannot trust uh, his devices at all, and he consumes, and he devours us in this way, and it's just all lies, and it's just all deception. I, I heard about a book uh, recently, and I never, I've never read this book. I was listening to something on the subject of, of spiritual warfare, and he was talking about a popular book that I think it was in the 70s, 
in maybe early 80s, but late 70s, and the book was about spiritual warfare. And, and, and this guy, it was, a, it was categorized as a fictional book, but it was written by someone who claimed to be a Christian. And, and in this book, he talked about how uh, he got all of this information because he interviewed demons. So he sat down with demons somehow in a spiritual realm, and he interviewed them, asked them questions, and then what he told them is what he put in his book. And, and to me, I'm like, that's so short-sighted, Right? Like, oh, really? You're telling me the truth. Thank you, demon, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> I was thinking to myself, and then he puts it out there like it's truth. Listen, you can't trust anything like that. Now, some of you are like, whoa, pastor, what are you talking about? I've never interviewed a demon, just so you know. I don't want to be anywhere near them. That's for sure. But they do exist. They do exist. Read scripture. There's so many examples of it. The point being is that it's lies. It is deception. You cannot trust the prince and the power of the air, as Scripture tells us. You cannot trust him. He is a counterfeiter, and so he consumes us. He devours us in these ways. And I want you to understand that he is on the offensive. He attacks the individual. He attacks the family. He attacks the church. He attacks church leadership. He is always trying to divide, to separate to pit us against one another. And the truth is, is that Satan, as I mentioned, the prince of the power of the air, is at work in this world. And it's not that there's a demon in every detail, you know? Some people are like, oh, the demon made me crash my car, you know? And my rent is so high, you know? <laughs> the rent in Vancouver, the devil, you know? That's not, this is not like finding, you know, Satan in every other corner, you know? The devil made me do it and all of this. That's not what I'm talking about. But he is most certainly in control of this world's systems. We know that he cannot control Christians, but he most certainly, if they are unbelievers and he is their father, then he most certainly can control them. And so the world systems that we are in, and by the way, this isn't like some conspiracy theory, okay? This is the truth, is that people that are without Christ are not doing the things of Christ. And so we cannot trust. It's hard to trust. And he's doing everything. We know he's doing everything to divide and to destroy. And so we must be aware we must be vigilant. We must be serious about this truth. We must be careful, church, about what we participate in, what kind of activities we engage in, what kind of people we allow to influence us if they are not of Christ. We must be careful and we must be protective of our children. Parents, let me talk to you for a moment. Those of you that hope to be parents one day, you've got to be protective of your children. You have to be aware of what they are exposed to. Be aware of what they are learning in those cute little funny videos that they're watching 24 hours a day. You've got to be aware about who is uh, teaching them. No, parents, listen. You need to know who is teaching your children and what your children are being taught. It is within your right as a parent to understand that. And as Christian parents, we need to even be more aware of that. Know what your children are learning. They are your responsibility, not the school's responsibility. They are your responsibility. And so you need to know what they are learning. You need to know who it is that is influencing them. What is in that environment of influence? We must understand, church, that our enemy is seeking to devour and destroy through murder and lust and lies and deception, and your children are not off limits. Satan's not like, okay, I'll wait till they're 18, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Absolutely not. Most of us got into the worst trouble of our life before 18 <laughs> and started bad thought patterns and actions before all of that happened. Your children are not off limits. And we see that in our, in our media today. You say, man, you just sound like an old school pastor. Yeah, a little bit today. We kind of need to talk about this stuff. The amount of influence, the amount of 
lies and deception that is out there today being taught our children. And most times, parents don't even know. Don't even know. And by the time we figure out what's going on, sometimes it's too late. That ideology is already embedded in their hearts and in their minds, and it's a struggle. And sadly, there's many parents that are struggling with children that are walking away from God, that are being devoured by the enemy because of just simply not being vigilant, not being aware. And so I encourage you, be aware, be vigilant, understand. Recognize that sometimes not everyone has your best intentions. (laughs) If you have people in your life that openly reject truth, like they're in your life and in your inner circle and influencing you, and they openly reject truth about God and truth about his word, be careful about their influence. I, I know, listen, I, I believe and I know that through our testimony, we see people come to Christ. And by having a godly testimony and being involved in our community and people, yes, we, we want to reach people with the gospel. But we also need to be aware about the influence coming this way. You always use the illustration, it's easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up, isn't it? I mean, Braden could probably pull me right off this platform. If, if, I, if I gave my hand, he could probably just pull me right down, even though I'm a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. Maybe, well, I don't know about stronger, but a little bit bigger, definitely. <laughs> definitely. He's, he kind of hits the gym a little bit, you know. But think about that. Think about the people that are in a close circle of influence. How are they affecting you? Satan hates you. Our adversary hates us. And he will do what he can to destroy us. We need to follow his advice and be vigilant. We need to be vigilant as well. I want you to see here, as we look at the verse again, look at verse 9. He says, whom resist steadfastly in the faith. Now, this is great. He says you need to be vigilant and you need to resist. Resist steadfastly in the faith. That means to withstand. It means to be firm against something. Do you know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean fighting. It doesn't mean fighting. It means resisting. I, I, am, I got my legs here. I am, I am resisting. I'm not trying to fight back, right? I'm not going around being, Satan, be bound, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I command thee to be bound today. In that. Okay, you, by the way, he's way more powerful than you, okay? So unless you're commanding God in that area, okay, some people are really into that kind of stuff and trying to bind Satan everywhere. Okay, come on, he's way smarter than that. He's way smarter than that. Can God bind Satan? Yes, of course, we know that. But calling it out, that's, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. Because if you bind Satan, bind one demon, then another one's going to come along. How long does that binding last for? Right? Like a minute? Like how long does it last? A month? He's like, permanently bound. Great. Okay, listen, and I understand the desire in that, and I understand the, the point of that. Asking for protection, yes, of course, we can do all of those things. But listen, we're not on the offensive here. We are simply to resist. We are to stand firm in the faith. Did you see that there? <laughs> stand firm, not in your own flesh, not in who you are, not in your, your grit and determination. No, stand firm here in the faith. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us that we should submit ourselves, submit yourselves therefore to God. Here it is again. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is the answer here to the whole thing. It's all about submission to God. It's about resting in God's strength and resisting him 
in that strength. And once we have that understanding of his characteristics and we recognize that we can resist not in our own strength but in our faith in God and our faith in his word, by the way, is what that really applies for us, the faith in the Bible here. Once we learn to resist him in that way, then truthfully we'll understand that our ability to resist, and I think I have this here on the screen for us, I want you to write this down, that our ability to resist comes from our grounding in the truth of the word of God. So there's a process here. He's not just like, just resist and you're on your own. No, resist in the faith, which means your salvation, of course, your faith in God, but also your faith in the word of God. You say, Pastor, why would you say that or why would you give us that application? Well, because if you look back to Matthew chapter four and the temptation of Christ, do you remember that when Satan was tempting Christ? You remember that story? And uh, there was this time in the wilderness and he came and he tried to tempt Jesus. Of course, he was trying to destroy him. He was trying to get him to give up uh, the plan that God had called him to do. He was trying to offer him riches and wealth and, and uh, um, um, power here on this earth. And he offered him all of these things. In every single time, Jesus responded to the devil's temptations in one way. Do you know what it was? How did he respond? Help me out here. What did he respond with? Scripture, that's right. He responded with the word of God. Every single time. Every single time he was tempted, he responded to the word of God, with the word of God. And so that's why we know that the Bible plays a very important role in our life and in our resistance here. We need God's word as the foundation of our lives. We need it to be hidden in our hearts. You know what that means? That means to memorize it. That means to have it at a moment's notice that when that attack comes, when that, uh, that difficulty comes, when that temptation comes, and you're feeling overcome by lust and anger and all of these things, that you can go to the word and you can quote scripture and you can, okay, I'm going to be okay here. I'm going to think on things that are lovely, that are of good report. I'm going to, and God, it's amazing how God brings that scripture to your mind. But unless you're memorizing it, unless you're knowing it, unless you're reading it, unless you're in it, unless you're listening to it, it's not going to be there when you need it. And so you need scripture. And so many of you I know could give testimony to that fact, how scripture helped you in a time of temptation, how scripture helped you in a great time of attack and difficulty. And so we gotta be reminded that it is the word that helps us to resist in God's strength and through the power of his word. We have the armor of God as Ephesians 6 teaches us. We have the word of God for direction and power and help. And we, listen, have a great advantage over the unbeliever because we have the Holy Spirit and because we have the word of God. We have the armor of God. We have the strength to resist. Now, resisting is not painless. It's not painless. It's hard. Sometimes you lose things when you're resisting. Sometimes people turn on you when you're resisting. There is still suffering. There's still struggling involved in our battle with the adversary. But as verse number nine shows us here, we're not alone in that. Notice there at the end of the verse it says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. He's saying that the same thing that you're facing, the struggle that you're in, the resistance that you're in, you're not the only one. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think it's a temptation of Satan to make us think that we're the only ones, <laughs> you know? You're the only one who, who cares, right? You're the only one. You're the only one. And he does that and he discourages you and you feel like, man, if I'm the only one, I'm the only one trying to uh, live for God, I'm the only one that's struggling. And some of you, you truly are the only one maybe in your family or your friend group. And I, and I feel for you. And I'm thankful that you're here in a local church because a local church body is what you need to help you recognize that there are people that will come alongside of you and encourage you and strengthen you. But ultimately, we need to know and just understand this fact that there are believers all around this world who are resisting. There are believers all around this world that are resisting. There are people in 
far more difficult and dangerous situations than we are here in Vancouver that are resisting the devil. And I'm thankful for that, that I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in this. I am able to then stand. It gives me strength. It gives me strength. It's like you ever meet that one Christian at your workplace, right? And you're all like, bro, like, and you see him in the hallway and you're all like, you know, the old nod, right? What's up, Jesus? You know, we, I'm a Christian, you know, and you, and you find him and it's like, it's amazing when that happens, right? And, you, and it just kind of, you feel a lot better. You feel way better. You're like, I think I saw a cross on their necklace, right? You know, I think I, I think I and, and you see that and you're like, oh, wow. And, and it gives you confidence because you know you're not alone then. There's somebody else that's there. Sure, they may not be and believe everything you believe, but if they believe in God, man, what a blessing that is. What an encouragement that is. And so you, you see that and it encourages you. And I want you to be encouraged today at the end of this difficult message of spiritual battles is that you are not alone in this. We all have different areas in which we're attacked. Some of you struggle a great deal with your thoughts. You struggle so much with your thoughts. That's the, that's the main thought, or that's the main area of attack. Some of you struggle... Just being honest. You struggle with honesty. Others struggle with fear. And you live in fear and, and it's a constant in your life. Some of you struggle with just being discouraged all the time. You're discouraged. Some of you struggle with telling the truth. You struggle with lying. You struggle with bitterness. And bitterness is one that is so common that we struggle with. We struggle with envy. We struggle with wondering why is this my plight in life? Why, why are things like this? Why did this happen to me? But I want you to know that we all have, while we have different afflictions and different things that we struggle with, it's the same adversary, and we need the same soberness of mind, we need the same vigilance, and we need the same resistance. And you are not alone in this battle. There are others that are standing there with you, that are resisting with you, and you're not resisting in your own strength, you're resisting in the strength of God. So I wonder how you're doing in your spiritual battles today. Our enemy is real. Are you giving in more than you're resisting? Are you giving in to his attacks, his attempts to devour you? I want to encourage you this morning, though it seems overwhelming, though it seems like the enemy is strong, God has not left us alone. He has not abandoned us. He has given us strength. He's given us help in the spiritual warfare that we are in. I want us to look at 1 John chapter 4 for a moment. I want to read four verses from there as we close this morning. 1 John chapter 4, I want you to see this. John here is speaking, of course, about the power over spiritual battles and spiritual difficulties. Particularly here, he's talking about the idea of false prophets that were popping up in the church there in Ephesus that he was writing to. And he says this, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Man, that's a great thought right there. Don't believe everything, but try the spirits. Try to see whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. This is speaking of a spirit of Antichrist, not the Antichrist as we hear about in Revelation. Then he says this in verse 4. And I love this. Ye are of God, little children. Isn't that so nice? <laughs> when was the last time somebody called you a little child? Hey, hey there, little guy. <laughs> it hasn't happened to me in a long time. <laughs> I love saying it to my boys, though. I love saying, hey, God, man, little guys, right? And he says, L little children, listen to me. 
listen to me. Here's what I want you to understand. He says, year of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's he talking about? This spirit of Antichrist, this, this evil, this enemy. Because greater is he that is in you. Who's that? That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. Greater. He's greater in you than he that is in the world. Who's the, the prince and the power of the air? Who is the God of this world? It's the devil. So here's what he's saying. This is so great. Listen, this is really great. The God that is within you, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you is greater than our adversary. Even though he's trying to destroy us, even though he's trying to devour us, even though we often feel weak and we feel confused, if you remain true to the faith, true to remember that God is on your side, the fact that you've already won the battle, he is already defeated, we have the back of the book and we can read it and we know that Jesus wins. And so we understand that and so we can resist through the power of God's spirit that is within us because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so do you know what? You can resist. You can resist. You can do the right thing. You can make the right decisions. You can stand strong because you have something that is greater than our adversary. And that is just so encouraging when you think about it. That it's not about us, it's about God. The question is, is are you trusting in that strength? Are you trusting in that strength? And this is a spiritual attitude, this attitude of vigilance, this attitude of resistance. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual attitude that we must develop, that we must ask God to develop within us. And it's an essential spiritual attitude for pilgrims and strangers. And there's another attitude that Peter mentions here in this passage, um, but we're going to wait till next week. I promise we're going to end today, and I'm sorry, I have to break my promise. Please forgive me here in church, all right? I'm sorry. I was going to wrap it up, and I got into this, and I thought, we need to talk about this. Listen, spiritual warfare is a reality. It is something that we all face. Don't pretend like it's not there. And we need to have a serious, sober, vigilant mindset about it, grounded in reality, grounded in the truth that God is on your side and you are not alone. You are not alone. We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.